back for another show. How's it going, Pricey? Not bad. I found out where Neil Rackham is. <laughs> where is he, Mike? He's in Connecticut. All right. Welcome to Book Club, the show where every week we reconstruct, deconstruct, take apart and put together again another sales book. You're with Mike Price and Johnny Graham, and we, this week, are on the Perfect Close, chapters 8, 9 and 10. And you found out where Neil Rackham lives? Yeah, I did, yeah. Patrick Cook phoned me to tell me. Right. Because he'd obviously listened to the show. Yeah, exactly. And Neil Rackham uh, is a lecturer in Connecticut. He hadn't he fell out a, l- a little bit, I think, with Huthway or something. I couldn't really... I-, I don't know what happened, but, you know, he lives in Connecticut and he's a lecturer. Right. I wonder if we could get him on the show. He might want an appearance fee. Do you reckon? Well, he doesn't appear to be doing a lot of social networking on LinkedIn, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Right. He's obviously lecturing in some business school in Connecticut. Do you know, the students will not appreciate how lucky they are. No, they won't. Someone on some business administration because we're going, oh, this old guy, Rackham, what a loser. They won't realise how seminal the work is until about four or five years after they when i went to the fine university of hull we had this guy someone i don't know it's this greek guy and and i can remember looking him up and he was something like the greek finance minister for 20 years or something (laughs) (laughs) we all turned up going oh shit i don't know what he's on about all the rest of it (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah, absolutely well you're arrogant when you're 18 though aren't you well i'm still arrogant yeah so talking of arrogance okay talking of arrogance uh, I think you and I need to give uh, our thoughts to chapters 8, 9, 10 of The Perfect Close. So last week we actually recorded the final episode of this stanza on The Perfect Close because James came on the show. What a difference that made to the book. Yeah, I think we ought to start today's show with the context that really re helped us rethink the whole thing. Do yeah, you, definitely. Do you want to yeah, yeah. And I mean, Mike? basically... You know, I'd been a bit whiny about this book. <laughs> whiny? Yeah, I'd been whiny about this book. And then we were talking to James about it, and he said, listen, he said two things, actually. He said, one, if you've got a process that works, stick to it. Yep. And I thought, right, okay. And he was and emphatic he, about that. Yeah, like, yeah, listen, yeah. I'm not going to change your process. And he was quite keen to point out that actually this is a book, really, that's designed for somebody maybe in a non-sales capacity but works closely to sales to step into sales. Absolutely. And when I understood that, it reframed the book for me. This isn't a book for somebody that's been selling for 20 years. Well, what was interesting was on the last show that we recorded before, we, so we, just so you understand, listeners, last week we recorded an episode of Book Club, then James came on the show, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, within five minutes of us having recorded the episode of Book Club. Um, and during that episode, I think it was last week's show, we were saying how in many respects this would be quite useful for people in the healthcare market. And we got a bit of context, which was James actually spends a lot of time in the healthcare technology sector. Well, what we also said was the the problem with this book for me personally is the paradigm is so differently. Yeah. So different. But then if you'd been a pre-sales guy or you'd been a project manager or something, well, then your paradigm is going to be different. And he himself was a pre-sales or a technical guy who moved into sales. Correct. And so the context of the book, listeners, is... What you've got here is many, in many respects, is a an elevating sales book for a slightly more reluctant or perhaps nervous rookie sales professional in a way. I tell you, you've got right. So at the minute, I'm trying to to create a pergola in my backyard. So a pergola. I'm, pergola. So I'm watching YouTube videos yep. on how to create a pergola. Yep. And this is like a YouTube video for how to gear up for a a, a close 
in a high value sale. Yeah, and absolutely. And there's a bit more context to that, which is what he's working with and who he's aiming at are people that, you know, Mike and I have both been a bit frustrated with this one because you and I are both so direct, but we live in a very direct world. We sell, we sell to salespeople. We sell to senior level salespeople who just, who get, just, on, direct. Who just get on with it. Mm, um, mm, mm. So we found this contextually difficult until last week when now actually I quite rate it. Yes, me too, yeah. yeah because yeah. if I look at it in it, through the lens of its context, actually it's not a bad book. So we're on chapter eight. We are. Which is called, What Do I Want My Prospective Client To Do? And it's got an opening query from Anthony Anarino, which is, there are a lot of smaller asks that you need to make on your way to the final ask. You can't move the final ask forward by skipping the asks that should have come before it. Yeah, and I mean, he's talking about, you know, the difference. He's talking about advances, basically. Isn't yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, we'll go and through... And call objectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing I highlighted, actually, was on page 89. And it talks about when the next step involves your competition. And the bit I underlined was... If the prospect is truly going to evaluate other alternatives, then our sale may be sn- stalled until that step can take place. What do you think of that as a line? So, uh, so Well, we've all done it. We've all turned up at an appointment where you've done some paradigm-shifting thinking with the client. Client's uh, gone, Christ, I've never thought of that before. And then the client goes to market. And the client goes, crikey, I didn't even realise I had a problem. Yes. And before you know it, the client's going to market. Mm. We've all been there. So what do you make of that as a piece of advice? Because what he's saying there is that's okay. I, I don't feel that's okay. I feel it's the salesman's responsibility. So let's say, let's say I'm your client, Jonathan. To I'm keep a, the client focused on needs versus pain versus so, solution. So, so let's say I'm your client. You're a sales recruiter. I'm a sales director. Yeah. Jonathan, he's the first candidate I've seen. I really liked him. <laughs> I want to go see some more. Yeah, I can understand why you want to see some more candidates, Mr. Client. In fact, a lot of candidates say, a lot of my clients say absolutely that. I think what you'll find is probably the best thing to do is to sit down and look at whether the candidate actually meets your needs. So, if so he you're does, saying then it's a non-starter? Move, if he does, then let's move him forward through the process. If he doesn't, then by all means, let's meet some more candidates. Okay, because see, see, I agree with that. And let's, I do agree with you completely. There's a but, however... For me, that's about objection handling. It is objection handling, but the but is it does qualify them. So what happens to me with quite a few candidates is, yeah, I'm not really looking for a job. Have you got a CV? Yeah, I've got a CV. Well, okay. Have you done anything else to find a, to find a role? Yeah, I've had four interviews. All right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you are looking for a job then. It is a qualifier. So, so at absolutely. least it means they're qualified and they're out there. And I think what this guy, Jim Close, is talking... Uh, Jim Close. Who's Jim Close? <laughs> no idea james, this guy james muir is talking about is um you and he goes on later on to say you can't alter the time scale of somebody of the buyer and i don't, I don't agree, agree I with that i completely fundamentally disagree with that but then when we quiz james about it but he comes from a place of put enough stuff in your pipeline that's a point that's going to a point and, you let, just and put also some more stuff put, put a lot put more stuff in the top of your pipe and it'll all be all right. And that's not a bad strategy. And he's absolutely right about that. Mm, mm. But I Because the that only people that... that are worrying about timescales are usually people with what they call in Miller-Hyman parlance a whistle funnel. 
Absolutely, and that is where you know. I, so we we had this conversation with Mule. So obviously we've had to read the whole book. Yeah, and and I'd I'd loaded up really questions to loads of really harsh questions to get. Stuck oh, into I was ready him. to really go for him. Last yeah, week. exactly. But then after we met him, I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to go back over each point and rethink about it, and I can see both sides of that argument actually. So he talks here. I'm on ninety one here. Advances versus engagement. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, and I got a little bit fractious with this, even on my second time round. In my workshops, I've discovered there are a number of interactions with a possible client that are generally positive, but do not technically qualify as an advance because they don't represent commitment. Great. Or they lack sufficient energy required to be considered advances. Workshop attendees often get tripped up by these. And what he's saying is, you know, it's easy for a client to be engaged with you, talking to you, involved with you, but are they actually really advancing? Right. And he's mm. talked about, for example, let's let's explore some of the most common indicators of engagement that are often confused for advances. Prospect asks, asks you for a proposal. Not an advance. He's absolutely right. I mean, he's, he's bang right about that, actually. He's absolutely right about these. I think you're going to be harsh knocking these, personally. Do you think so? Yeah, he's right. Yeah, uh, may, maybe it wasn't this point that I got grumpy with. Rather than emailing your proposal, schedule a meeting to review your proposal with them. Well, his point is sending a proposal is not an advance. It's not. No. Absolutely not. You're right. And he's, he's saying schedule, schedule a meeting to review your proposal with them. Well, why? You're writing wood. That's what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. One of their personnel contacts you to gather additional information. IT, engineers, managers, supervisors. Request help in explaining an area related to the sale to another person. Attends a webinar or watches an online demo on your website. So just to be clear, listeners, Jonathan is now listing the things that James yeah. Muir thinks uh, are engagements, not, are but not, not advances. advances. And actually, I think James Muir is right. Yeah, actually, it's an interesting one. Attends a webinar and watches an online demo. So this is a really interesting thought. So I'm looking at some technology at the moment for us. Mm. Um, I won't get into what technology it is. So they've got this kit. They know I've been on the website. And yep. they're all about this sales automation thing. Yeah, I mean that—that's their game. Yeah. So I've been on the website and I've watched a couple of other demos and stuff on the website mm. in my spare time because I'm giving it some thought whether it's right for what we want to achieve, blah de blah, and they're triggering all sorts of stuff. And I've had an email through from the sales guy on Friday. Hi, bloody blood. He thinks that's actually an advance. He thinks his sales advanced. I don't think he does. I think the automation... I, I think, think the automation thinks that the sale is advanced. Well, it Their matter. algorithm but thinks the sale is but advanced. But the, the, auto, the automation can just assume it's an advance because it's, there's so little marginal effort sending you information. Yes. They don't need to qualify it. Whereas if it's a person, a person but has I, to qualify I it. bet if you looked in that, their CRM system now, they would, they would deem would. me near to buying... I don't think they would. I think they just think the guy's interested. Let's just hammer him with automated more, more stuff. data, more information. What difference does it make? There's no marginal cost to them, is there? None whatsoever. Just a computer doing it. No, literally electricity. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. so it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, and you may as well throw him at the wall. Whereas actually, if you had a person had to do that, well, actually, what's interesting is his final interaction was a personalised video with him doing some personalisation. Oh, in that case, he's qualified it terribly. He, he thinks it's an advance. Yes. Yeah, but come on, how often have we spoke about how badly trained a lot of the salespeople are? Well, he's not trained, is he? No, he's in, well, he'd be great with this book because he's a, he's a bright, smiley young lad. Anyway, then James introduces a table that measures the advance. I did a pricing, filled that in. Did you? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, filled that in. I didn't fill mine in, actually. Possible, I, I thought, what possible advances in recruitment? 
Go on then. Sign your terms. Yes, in advance. Sign your terms. Yes. Well, you know what I always talk about a lot, Jonathan, with our clients is I need to see some interview money now. Yeah. Show me the colour of your interview money. Yeah. Start interviewing some candidates now. Yeah. Jump off the fence interview That's someone. in advance. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The other one I like is for them to come here. But he would say that's not an advance. Yes, he would say that. And he's right. Well, I think in context. Well, it depends, doesn't it? Hi, Mr. Client. I'd like you to come here next week and see four candidates. Because you know what's going to happen? One at two, one at three, one at four, and one at 5 p.m. One day, one of these AI bods that listens to us, they're going to develop a piece of software that creates a weighted basket average that says, on average, if they do that, that's the percentage closed sale. Of course they will. My mate used to be an odd compiler at William Hill. Right. And they've got, uh, you know, just massive algorithms. Well, oh, they're quants, aren't they? Correct, yeah. And they've got massive algorithms that, that work out the odds. And somebody's going to do a similar thing from a sales tracking perspective. I've got to say, my criticism of this chapter is it's just full of things that advances or not. Well, so then he starts saying, um, he starts talking about events or shows. I don't think a client meeting you at an event or a show is an advance. Definitely not. Well, I just disagreed with that. that Did was he say that, that was an advance? Yes. Because for me, it's too Oh, easy. yes, you're on advances now. For me, it doesn't require energy from the client. No, he's at the show anyway. He's there anyway, mincing around. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, make your interaction as direct and personal as possible. And then he's got uh, meet. Um, I've got one here. He put, also puts off-site location, which I disagreed with. You and I have... You know, I don't I, like being people off-site unless I know them. If a client won't meet me in his office, I won't go. Yeah, well, it depends who it is. If it's a client-client that you've known yeah, for years. If it's a client who I know well and says, look, mate, I'm on the road, can you meet me in Such Manchester in a Starbucks near Deansgate? I'll say, yeah, whatever. But if it's a new prospect, no, because normally as a in recruitment, that's a qualifier for me that they're unsanctioned. Correct, yeah. They're off the radar. They're off book, as they say. Mm, they're, they're absolutely absolutely. It, and I would imagine it's probably not dissimilar if I was selling kit. Oh, yeah, can you uh, meet me in the private back room of that office that's nowhere near my office where no one can see me meeting with you as a supplier? I suspect it would show they're not a decision maker, wouldn't it? So yeah. next then, Chapter 9, how can I provide value on this encounter? I've got to say about Chapter 9, Jonathan. Yeah. I didn't like the way it was written. But? But I did um, think the idea of it is quite a good one. I concur. And what he's talking about here is is just adding value along the sales encounter. Well, we talked about process. this, didn't we, during uh, Eat Their Lunch? This was a big part of Eat Their Lunch, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah, a big part of it was bringing something to the deal that the other guy oh, can't. Oh, so it was, yeah, yeah, so it was. And bringing something to the client that the other guy can't. And his point is, you know, um, the internet, and it's an absolutely valid point. I've underlined this, and I've, I've put, it surprises me that. I mean, it can't be wrong. What's that? The disappearing sales process. So you're on this part, page 106. I was, on, I was on 105. Because of the internet, all that has changed. What he's alluding to is that so much of the sales process... 57%, evidently. He's right. So the point he's making here, listeners, is... A large proportion of the sales process, he says, Gartner Research, for example, predicts that by 2020, 85% of interactions between businesses will be executed without human intervention. I, I, Whilst next year. Yeah, but I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be bang right. I think what we are reaching at the moment is peak technology buying point. Well, you think about the interaction you just had with this, this technology vendor that you've been on about. There's only so much that I can get. 
Yeah, and there's and, and these automated emails, they they just they just lose their edge after a while. Yes, they do. You just become yes, they do. a new to it, the, I think is the word, the, isn't it? I think companies have become obsessed with marketing automation and sales automation, particularly these scale-up businesses out of America. They think that there is a silver bullet to sales success mm. and growth, notably automation, automation, automation. At some point, they have to accept that with a high-involvement purchase, somebody has to bring some value to the conversation. Absolutely, I've put that here on the next page. And to be fair, that's what he's saying is, if you want to survive, if you're going to sell low order value products, don't worry, you, you're done. Yes, but that's been the same for years though. Yeah. Let's get it right, you know, printers. When I first got in sales recruitment, people used to make £100,000 a year selling printers. Yeah, now I can... They don't anymore. Well, I don't even think I'd buy one on Amazon. I think I'd pick one up at the garage on the way home. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, the thing that he never seems to say in this book, and I've written it on this page for a reason, is he never seems to say, what about, and I, I want to say to him, and I didn't for whatever reason, what about I am a salesperson and I am going to persuade the prospect to deal with me and I am going to change the odds? But very few of the books that we've read talk about it, Mike. But why not? Because... That's what our clients they're very pay new, the salespeople yes, who work Because for. I think a lot of the authors that we're working with, and, and I have to say... They're all American. No, it's not that. It's Do you know that, I think the Americans sell in a different way to the English? No, it's that there is a, a pervasive trend in selling, Mike. And that pervasive trend is it's not cool to be a salesperson, but it's cool to be in sales. Uh... And it's being perpetuated by a specific group of influencers. Not Jordan Belfort. Not Jordan Belfort, but by a specific group of influencers many of whom we've discussed on this show, mm. who are looking for a new paradigm with which to peddle their wares. And many of those new paradigms are absolutely bang right. But it has become very unfashionable to say that sales is about winning and gaining outcomes and earning commission and me winning and you losing. It's become very, very unfashionable that. And yeah, that's, shame, the thing. Really. that's the thing. If you said to me, what have you learned the most whilst you've been doing this show? I'd say what I've learned is that there are a lot of people out there trying to change the paradigm and that it's all about, uh, you know, and we're going to do more books on it. I, I have to say, I think you and I both need a break from a sales book for the next book. Well, let's stick on this the, the review of this book for the time being. Um, so I'll tell you what I did like here. He talks about what he calls extrapolation bias. I knew you were going to talk about that. I Go thought on. that was so great. Tell so the, tell the listeners what that is. So what he's saying is, how you sell is a sample of how you solve. And I often say, I'll tell you where we see this. Is we see this in the recruitment process, and we see it in all sorts of elements of the recruitment process. Um, so what he's basically saying is, how you interact with the client becomes extrapolated as to what your organisation will be like and what your solution will be like in the final analysis. I've I've always thought that you can learn uh, a lot yeah. about a company by how they deal with the recruiter. Absolutely. And I do say that to candidates sometimes. I've got one at the minute, which you know about the, who the client is, where they've had three vacancies, we've filled one, touch wood and all the rest of it, but they've been an absolute pleasure to deal with. And, and the and candidates you just know. really like them. 
Yeah, often we find out about organisations later on in the process. Even after we've interviewed a candidate sometimes, it's only when actually you've organised an interview for him and he rings you the day before the interview and says, right, this is what I've done in preparation for my interview and this is how I'm going to do it. And then they come out and they give you the feedback and you think, crikey, you're a top boy. Yeah, or, or, or the you opposite. Know, but you know exactly at that point. And that's right. what he's saying here, isn't it? He's saying how you interact with your client. Yep. That's the persona that they think you will have. Absolutely. It's, and, and people draw and extrapolate analogies and magnify them into the future. They do. And therefore, what he's really getting at here, and I think this is very valid, if you were a guy straight out of pre-sales and you were coming into sales, he's really saying your leverage point is your knowledge, your skill set, your professionalism, because clients will extrapolate from that. And if you are a trusted advisor and you are delivering value in the sales cycle by way of your knowledge and your skill set and your understanding of the environment, then actually they the client will perceive that you're going to deliver value from a product or sale perspective. What do you think about this bit? When clients go silent, the primary cause of a prospect going silent is that the sales agent has not been adding enough value throughout the sales process. Yeah. Do you reckon? Well, I won't say it's the primary cause, but let's get it right. Why do clients go quiet on you? Because they don't like you. Do you reckon? Do you not think it's because they're just running a different agenda? No, it's because you've not... Quali- There's a million reasons, isn't there? You've not qualified it, you don't know, somebody else is doing a better job than you. I, I think to say it's a primary cause... It's a cause, isn't it? But getting ghosted, I think, is what the millennials say, isn't it? I don't know. Did I get that terminology right, Lauren? Yeah, thank you. Ghosted. Right, okay. Every day's a school day. Yeah. Or pied. What does pied mean? Pied. That's what my daughter would say. What does that mean? You've been pied. I think, like, as in, like, a pie in the face. Oh, right, so when somebody stops talking to you, you've been pied. Yeah, pied. (laughs) (laughs) Right, good. Right, yeah. Absolutely. So when clients go silent, I think there's a whole host of reasons why customers go silent. Absolutely. So clients have redefined value. Revenue Storm recently surveyed B2B and B2C companies and pitted the two sets of values against each other to determine which set clients valued more. Right. Value category one, ability to fulfill an order or request, ability to provide the best offering or service, ability to respond and listen when approached. Value category two, ability to challenge current thinking, ability to proactively bring in innovative ideas, ability to provide thought leadership. 82 respondents valued the items in in category two over the items in category one. Absolutely. I've got a theory about that. I'm really surprised. I mean, I put here, but I mean, it must be right because he's quoting a number. That really surprised me, that. No, it didn't surprise me at all. I think given the nature of of the economy and the way people buy now, you you can't, yeah, if you can't bring something to the party, you're in the wrong game now. It's, and, it, and it ties in with a theory I've got, Mike. What's that? So you and I now, the average age of a candidate you and I deal with, is just getting older. It is, yeah. Much older. You know, I've looked at a candidate today, 60, and actually I'm looking at him thinking, viable candidate, that guy. Good bloke. Knows what he's doing. Somebody will get two, three good years out of him. Wouldn't have been when we got into recruitment in 2000. We'd have been crucified. Over 40 was a problem, wasn't it? You'd have been taken into the back room and the bollocking would have lasted an hour. Yes, exactly. Of, and there would have been shouting, possibly even cup throwing. <laughs> it would have been intense if you'd yeah, interviewed yeah. a candidate. If, mm, if you'd mm, even mm. let one off across your desk. And I think what's actually happening is we're entering into a market now. Where, you know, people have often talked about, well, maybe I need somebody with a few more grey hairs. Actually, now, I think what's happening is that 
to be a really to 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 have a long career what what's interesting is you've got to know your onions yeah but i think i think the prospects want an opinion correct they want they want more than that they want somebody who is actually a proper expert to walk in there and tell them what they didn't know mm, i would agree with that completely and that's what, and i think a lot of the customers in the particularly in some of those enterprise deals are really buying the grey hair now they are, and that, and that's one of my frustrations with this chapter because this is so, that's sort of what this guy's saying, but it's just badly written. Mm, mm. But it's a very good chapter, and it's worth reading. I completely agree. Um, the other thing that I, I I did find interesting here in this chapter was this line here. What page are you on? I'm on one one four. One of my executive friends has a litmus test to determine whether or not a given salesperson is actually an established trusted advisor. He observes their greeting when meeting with established clients. If the greeting is simply the obligatory token acknowledgement, he knows the salesperson is not much of, val- of much value. On the other hand, if the exchange is more personal, brackets, a hug, vigorous and joyful handshake, he knows they're a trusted advisor to that client. We should be striving to deliver enough value to elicit this kind of response from every client. It's like in the scene with uh, Jerry Maguire and Cooper Gooding Jr. having a hug, isn't it? At the end, <laughs> and then the other one, whatever his name is, looks around at his player. Uh, do you believe that? I think that's nonsense. I just, I think we, I'm trying to think through relationships I've got with my own clients. There is a, an element of warmth, I think. That Yeah, I mean, there's some, so I spoke to a client this morning and he said to me, how was your daughter's birthday at the weekend, Mike? Yeah. There's that an was element, his opening line. There's an element of warmth and, mm. and even it, it's in the handshake, it's in the greeting. I get it, but I wouldn't want it to be my arbiter of whether I've got a, <laughs> yeah, exactly, a yeah. good relationship with my, oh, well, he gives me a hug when I meet him. I've got one client, you're doing a bit of work for me at the minute. He just provides one-word email answers. Oh, God, yeah. I've worked, <laughs> you handed it to me. It only took me a minute to work it out. But he's not. He doesn't want to be your best mate. Exactly. What's wrong with that? And he's extremely respectful of the work we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just, do you want to be my candidate at four o'clock Tuesday? Why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's too busy to write ES at the end. <laughs> Anyway, what makes good insight? Three criteria make insight valuable. It must be relevant. It must be novel. It must be actionable. Good, that. I agree with that. Novel and actionable. You know, relevant goes without saying, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah. I think that'd be quite an interesting thing to do, wouldn't it? Of what I'm telling my client, does it meet those three criteria? Because if it does, then it's good insight. And if not, it's not. Yeah. I think they're reasonable rules of of thumb, actually. Mm, Me too. I thought that was good. Relevant, credible, likeable. Absolutely. Um, and then I'm picking something else to try and find. It's quite a long chapter, I thought, this. Very long. In every book we've read, there's always one nemesis chapter. Do you reckon this is it? This is the nemesis chapter, isn't it? It went on and on. Yeah, but I mean, it's, none of it's wrong, though. No, it's a good chapter. I also like the fact he's, he's talking a lot about buyer's journey here. I'm on that page. I was just about to talk about it. Yeah, really like that. I, 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 we actually talked to James about this last week, and I think we spoke to Anthony on the Reno about it. I think there's a hole in the market, a huge hole in the sales influencer market for somebody to write a book on buyer behaviour. I wouldn't have said buyer behaviour. I think there's a whole hole in the market for somebody to, to write a book that's called uh, What's the Buyer's Journey and How Do I Influence It? Or How Your Customer Thinks. Yeah. What your customer is thinking. And actually to be able to look at each element of the buyer's journey 
and explain emotionally, psychologically what they're going through when they do it. Mm, I agree, yeah. Because I, I, I know when I was at university, we did a thing on buyer behaviour, and I would say it was almost certainly the most memorable module I studied. I can't remember anything from university. <laughs> you obviously had more fun than I did. <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's only because I had to reset the second year. So, and, and then he's talking about unexpected value, uh, unanticipated value that your prospect or client receives as a result of your meeting. You know, that's good, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. And what he's getting at is bringing value to the meeting in terms of knowledge, credibility, all the things we talked about during Eat Their Lunch. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Good. Uh, I then underline, I mean, I've really picked through this chapter, Jonathan. I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I just got a bit, right, let's get to the end of it kind of thing. On chapter 132, <laughs> higher level questions require that you give your clients time to reflect and, and synthesise their answer. They will not answer in a single second. It is imperative that you wait at least three or four seconds before speaking so that they can contemplate what you have asked them and formulate an answer. Okay. So I agree with that, 100%. I, I do-ish. How can you not agree with that? Well... Ask a question and shut up. Uh, that's what I agree with. I don't agree with counting to three or four. Oh, yeah, just leave it. Well, just shut up. Yeah, ask him a question. Shut up and then wait. It might take more than four seconds. When I recently bought a car about, let me say recently, it's about nine months ago, ten months ago, the sales guy, he'd ask me a question and answer it immediately. It was, just like a, it was just like a monologue of me listening to him talking. What, he'd answer your question for you? Yeah. So, so obviously I've got two kids and a wife, as so we bought a fairly sort of big car. And he went, oh, why are you looking for such a big car? Oh, you've got two kids. And it literally went like that. And then I was there because the deal oh, was so man. good, I was going to buy it anyway. Right. So I just sort of sat there and drank his tea and bought the car anyway. <laughs> but I actually listened to him. I thought, if I wasn't here to buy this car, you wouldn't sell it to me. No. He wouldn't have sold me it. He no wouldn't chance. have influenced the outcome. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. So I mean, or I he'd have lost his rapport with you. But the deal was so good, it maintained his rapport. The deal maintained his rapport, not him. Yeah. Not him. Uh, and then we talk about sharing new ideas. I'll tell you what's interesting is, one of my clients is an e-commerce business. Very successful. They sell software on a particular platform. They're the systems integrator. Uh, and he was making me laugh because he said, we've got two people who are just thinkers. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, literally, all they do is they just bugger around on the internet all day. Thinking. Thinking and like looking at stuff. And he said, when I've got a really big client, I take them along. He said, they're scruffy. They're, not, they're clearly not salespeople. He said, but they sit and listen. And he said, every now and then they'll chip in and go, have you ever thought about doing this? And literally... The focus shifts from me, the salesperson, the pre-sales to these thinkers because they just introduced something that's such a good idea yeah. that they've just got the client. And he said, in our deal sheets now, we make sure that the thinkers have been out to meet the client at least once. And he said, when the thinkers have been out there, we're pretty much guaranteed to win the sale. Yeah. And I think that's what this guy's talking about, about sharing a new because idea. Because you're bringing something to the client. You're, you're, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is the new paradigm of selling. It's one of them for sure. Yeah. I th I one of the new paradigms for selling is going to be the old fashioned one, which is you're there to influence people and change the direction of it. I think that will be the next paradigm. Well, we'll just do full circle, won't we? It's like Flair's coming back in. You know, actually selling stuff. We'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what's going to happen, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And but I, th I think it, particularly if we go into a tough climate again. Mm -hmm. Well, we're bound to, aren't we? Selling will, be, selling will go back into fashion. Yeah, Brexit or no Brexit, you know, there's, we're due a tough climate anyway, aren't we? 
And then he goes on and extends that and he says, deliver education. Delivering insight really is about education. If you become a diligent student of best practice in your industry and educate your clients and prospects every time you encounter them, they will value and anticipate every interaction with you. Yeah. I know there's some clients that I just sit down with now and they pick my brains before. They go to market. Yeah. And they say, right, what am I going to get, Mike, if I spend this? Ah, right, okay. That affects my target. And I'm sure we have some clients Absolutely. who do exactly the same thing. Well, Sandler would say you're giving free consultancy. Yeah, good for you, Sandler. Yeah, good luck with that. I'm quite happy giving free consultancy to my clients because it keeps our relationship with them. Well, this is interesting because us. Sandler and Muir are completely at odds. Are they? Don't you reckon? Because isn't Muir giving away free consultancy by adding value? But there's a lot of very Sandlery stuff in here. It's a Sandlery book, isn't it? Sandler was a reluctant salesman. This guy's a reluctant yeah. salesman, really. Absolutely. And then chapter 10, planning your next encounter. Yes. I like this. Well, I always summarise the chapter and I put, not bad, Nice, some nice forms towards the end of it. Well, you love a good form. I love a good form because it's formulaic. Seven primary reasons to plan every sales encounter. I, I, I think this is the real nub of this book. You reckon? Call planning. It's an, it, well, it's an, what I like is this is really old school. I tell you what it is, it's old school, and if somebody is in a pre-sales capacity, they won't do this automatically, and that would be a good thing to do. A proper call plan I do agree before with that. walking into an appointment. That's as old school mm. as it gets. I was learning that in 1994 at Parcel Force. It is, I mean, it is good. I wouldn't say it was quite, I've put quite the same level of importance on it that you did, but nonetheless, very good. Yeah, I think really powerful stuff. If you'd never called upon before, and you went through this chapter, six elements of sales encounter planning, research, value proposition, questions, advances, unexpected value, agenda. Brilliant. Love I that. I agree. I agree. And in fairness, the next page, consider their decision-making process. Good. Yeah. Who will be involved in the decision-making process? What process will they go through? So for me, I thought the book really picks up here. Page um, one. 144 pages in. Uh, but it does. And that, I think this is where the real value is. You've started liking the book now, haven't you? At this point, yeah. Because actually, if particularly given the context of where I'm now at with my understanding of who the book was written for. Mm. If you, how, how, let, let, I wonder if we did a straw poll, how many of the guys that we work with have a call planning sheet template? Oh, not many. Where they sit in their car before a first appointment and think, right, what's my plan? What do I want out of the call? Not what's many, my I pitch? Thought. What questions am I going to ask? What advances do I want out of the call? What's my, how will I know that I've advanced this sale? I agree with you, not many. I reckon four in a hundred. Mm, and, but would actually, be, and would people be better off if they did it? Definitely. 100%. And then these forms, you know, I know we've taken the mickey a little bit about them, but the forms that he's got in here are good. I've, I've not been on puremule.com actually, but uh, the forms are good. You know, current situation. What is the client's current situation and challenge? What is the impact of the current situation and challenges? Et cetera, et cetera. I think some really simple things, for example, here, advances... Asking yourself, what is the perfect close stroke phrase I will use to obtain the advance? Yeah. So we've actually written it down. Mm -hmm. Right, this is what I'm going to say at the end of the meeting. Because you, know you know what this creates? It means when you come under fire, you've got grace under fire. Correct. So that's what buys you time, isn't it? Correct. And that you know where you are in the call. I think that's all really good stuff. People may say, you know, some of our listeners may say, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm an enterprise level sales guy. I don't need to do that. But... I think 
I have to say, I think James is right on the money here. Proper cool planning, bang on. Really liked it. Mm, I agree with you. And he's, uh, I mean, the forms, would I use these forms? No. No, but are they bad forms? No. No. I wouldn't use these forms, but I would use these forms to create my own form. Let's put it another way. If you had a salesperson who worked for you, let's say it's me and it's my first day, and you said, what are you doing, Mike? And I said, well, I'm just filling in my form for my call planning. You wouldn't stop me doing it. When I was at uh, you, Parcel You'd go calls, home and you'd say to Mrs. G, this new fella, he plans his calls? Right, I'm in. He plans every call. When I was at Parcel Force um, in the mid-90s, 95, uh, you weren't allowed to go and see a customer unless you could present a call plan to your boss. Not, not a bad thing to do. And if you had five appointments that week, you had to send five. We had these green sheets, and the green sheets were basically like this. Cool. With, with a call plan, what are you going to do? What do you want out of the call? I think that's really good discipline. Mm, I completely agree. Yeah, I think it's really good discipline. I think everything about it's right. Um, and it, it, do you know, what was interesting was I went to see a, a client in London last uh, Thursday, and whilst I didn't fill in a call planning sheet, I did have a much, much more focused plan of what I wanted. It's interesting, because I don't fill in a call planning sheet, actually, but I use a standard day book. And I write down all of the things I want to cover in that meeting before I go. Yeah. I write them down in pencil so the guy opposite me can't see them. Yeah. And then I write in pen so that I can cross-reference Why do you not want him to see them? Uh, because I just think that's the right thing to do. I mean, I mean I've mean, i got to be clear. If you're my client, you said, can I read your day book? I'd go, yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm here to close you. Yeah, 100%. What does it say there? What does it say there? Right. What's your perfect advance? Yeah, that's my advance. That's what I want out of the meeting. But we're very lucky because we work with salespeople, so they get it. Yes. There's no, there's no issue with that, is there really? Whereas I don't, I don't necessarily think all of our uh, candidates and clients could get away with doing that. You know, you're off to see a healthcare trust. Yeah, I was talking to my wife about that yesterday. You just can't ask the questions we ask some of our clients. Exactly, but but I mean, would have let the client read them, yeah, obviously. But equally, I do it partially. So so sometimes I'll meet a client more than once, and if I meet a client more than once and I have the same notes, I'll write pencil for my initial plan. You know, I might use black pen for my first meeting and red pen for my second, just so I can keep a historical view of the notes. Yeah, fair enough. And that's what he's talking about, really. I think he's talking about more than that. I think he's talking about how. No, but he's talking really... about planning the call and doing the standard stuff. Absolutely, and and actually, if you were a reluctant salesman or a new sales guy or a that's sales guy, that's going to give you was... a lot of comfort. It's game changing stuff. I know people said it was game changing, and I've been a bit derogatory about it. For me, this is where it started to get really useful in this book. Cool. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of chapter 10, which leaves us the last three chapters next week, or two chapters, which will make for a pretty short show, and then we'll get dive straight into... Maybe we'll do these two chapters next week as a little prelude. I don't know. We'll work it out. Um, and then we dive straight into the week after we have James on the show. Brilliant. Yep. Um, so next week, we will decide what our next book is going to be. Okay. What's we, it going to be? Do we, right? I think we might is. already have a decision. The word on the streets is Go Give Us Sell More by Bob Berg. Right. There so, used to be a networking group who's, that was sort of their strong Give ones. Us Gain, BNI. BNI, that's it. Yeah, Give Us Gain. Give Us Gain. Give Us Gain. Yeah, absolutely. That. So uh, that's the plan. And we will see you all uh, next week for Book Club. Thank you. We will.